Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, July 17th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out why a federal program that helps Mississippians sign up for health insurance could be coming to an end. Then the head of public higher education in Mississippi is launching a listening tour at campuses across the state. What the new IHL commissioner says is first on his agenda. And with summer at peak season, moving season, find out how you can avoid fraud and protect your belongings. This time of year is when a lot of people do use moving companies. They do move since school is out. And one of the first things that someone should do is do their homework and research the company. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The fate of an outreach program aimed at helping Mississippians is at risk. A team at the University of Southern Mississippi and the city of Hattiesburg will meet tomorrow to discuss the Navigator program now that the federal government has announced drastic cuts ahead. The program helps people in 24 counties sign up for the Affordable Care Act and other health care services. USM professor of social work Mike Forrester says their budget looks to be cut by more than two-thirds next year. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the cuts are affecting them dramatically. We're moving toward the close of our current um, grant to provide the navigator services in any case. And this year, there was a cut in compared to prior years as the administration has kind of tightened the financial reins on the entire program. So we were already anticipating that there would be another substantial cut. Our program officer had been telling us that any time soon there would be a notice of funding availability for the next round of uh, Navigator grants. And of course, the Navigator program is built into the Affordable Care Act. So because the Affordable Care Act has not been repealed, which was, of course, the original hope of the current administration, failing that, uh, they have made you know cuts to the funds available to actually provide the program. We were not expecting the cuts would be so severe, though. So now we're down to, if I understand it correctly, $100,000 per state. So the entire state of Mississippi, the maximum funding it could get would be $100,000. And I don't know what the entire state was getting, but I want to say that's probably a cut of about 80%. We're continuing to outreach. We're continuing to get people enrolled. We're also informing a lot of people of other opportunities for health insurance, uh, notably through Medicaid, that they were not aware that they were eligible for. And so it's very difficult to uh, agree with that conclusion that performance, you know, has dropped. We know that our performance has certainly not dropped, and we know that there are still lots of people, often new people coming into the a marketplace who need to know about these opportunities. So 
you know, my view is that these are just more attacks on the Affordable Care Act, which has been, you know, a despised uh, object from the beginning of this administration. It's just that they haven't been able to kill it outright, so they're attempting to bleed it out uh, over time. And, you know, I would say pretty effectively doing so. So if you're reaching, you said, possibly several hundred people, is that worth the $300,000? That's a difficult judgment to make if the objective is to get as many people enrolled for insurance as you can in the infrastructure you know, that is in place in order to uh, deliver that is whatever that particular figure is, whether it's, you know, $100,000, $200,000, $300,000, to do it, the, the judgment ultimately comes down to is how much do we want to expand the insurance outreach, right? So we still know there are lots of people that are not covered. We know that there are people that have very, very limited opportunities to get covered otherwise. So we end up with uh, a vast number of people that have absolutely no access to health care services whatsoever. And then, you know, a full analysis would take us into looking at what are the implications, financial and otherwise, for the well-being of people in the state, in this state or any other state, where there are large numbers of uninsured people. What are the implications of all that of not getting those several hundred people onto insurance? Or helping them find other opportunities. Again, more people are helped than just those who are actually enrolled under the Affordable Care Act, right? So people are linked with other types of services, notably with Medicaid directly, who were not aware of their eligibility for Medicaid. So there's there's lots of information that gets pushed out to people beyond just those who are directly enrolled. USM professor of social work, Michael Forster. Critics say the ACA has been around long enough that people are familiar with signing up for health insurance through the federal exchange. Jameson Taylor is with the Mississippi's Center for Public Policy. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he's not surprised by the cuts. Cuts to uh, the Navigator budget, so far they have not impacted enrollment, and I don't think that they're going to really impact the operation of the exchange. So it doesn't come to you as a surprise at all? No, I mean, I think we have consumers who are pretty tech-savvy now, and they are used to the Obamacare enrollment websites, and people can jump on. The sign-up process is uh, pretty friendly. They've worked out the kinks, frankly, and most people don't need a navigator. The concern is that there are people out there who don't understand how the program works that need help to sign up, and now there will be more people without healthcare coverage. The real question is whether or not the product that Exchange is offering is giving a proper amount of healthcare access. And we're still seeing plans with very narrow networks and plans with high deductibles. I would rather see money being used to address those shortfalls and address shortfalls created by high healthcare pricing and lack of access. So you're saying to provide some kind of subsidy? There's still, there's still a variety of plans offered on the exchanges, but in particular for low-income customers, those plans are going to have narrow networks and high deductibles, which raises the question of who is really profiting from the exchanges. At the end of the day, we have seen insurance profits go way up since the exchanges have been created 
And in a certain respect, the exchanges are operating as a backdoor subsidy for large insurance companies. There is also another issue. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services said that they are going to suspend the uh, risk adjustment payments that are used to shore up the ACA. That speaks to the point that I was just making. You have insurers that have already uh, made tremendous profits off of having a subsidized product that everyone in America is required to buy. And the real question is whether or not consumers are getting value out of their money. If you look at healthcare pricing, you soon see that it is not transparent and that many consumers don't realize that they could sooner pay for something out of pocket for uh, especially routine visits, pay for them out of pocket and save money with a non-traditional insurance plan. So do you see these acts as the slow demise of the Affordable Care Act? I think the vision of the Affordable Care Act is actually uh, socialized medicine. And so I think we are taking steps toward that insofar as the exchanges are failing. The exchanges were always, I thought, the middle road between uh, privatized health care and or consumer-driven health care and socialized medicine. So you're not upset about the cuts? I appreciate the cuts because if we're going to be spending money on health care, I would rather that money be going to increase health care access and increase patient outcomes as opposed to being used for administration. What we're finding, in fact, with the navigator cuts is that this is another administrative cost that actually it's prudent to cut. And let's put our money into where we really need to put it, which would be to expand health care access. According to the U.S. Census in 2013, When the exchanges began, 17.1% of Mississippians were uninsured. That percentage dropped to 11.8% by 2016. Coming up, the head of public higher education in Mississippi is launching a listening tour at campuses across the state. What the new IHL commissioner says is first on his agenda. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's new higher education commissioner, Alfred Rankins, has a plan of action for this new role. Rankins says he's spending his first 100 days in office speaking with constituents at universities across the state. Today is the first stop on the tour in Oxford at the University of Mississippi. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood he'll be visiting the state campuses to get a better perspective of how students view the system and how it can be improved. This system exists to educate students, and we serve eight universities in our medical center. So I think it's incumbent upon me as commissioner to uh, get on those campuses uh, just to hear from uh, people on the ground uh, to get their input uh, on how we're performing. And is this typical protocol for commissioners starting off to do a listening tour? I don't know if it's typical protocol, but I think... uh, uh, Myself as a leader, uh, I consider myself as a servant leader, and uh, I serve the the students and employees of the system, and I think it's important for me uh, to get their input. So what are the areas of concern that you want to address, or I guess that the constituents will want to address with you? Well, uh, one area that uh, I'm sure that may come up would, would, would be funding. 
because uh, in recent years uh, we've seen a, a decrease in funding. So I imagine that would be one issue uh, that may come up uh, on our campuses. Why is it important to um, discuss an issue like that and be, and be transparent about that with the constituents? Well, I think transparency is always good. Uh, I think that keeps the uh, communication flowing uh, both ways, and I think it helps uh, all sides uh, be better in doing what they have to do uh, to serve our students in our state. I think it's interesting that you've sat in those seats as well as a student, as a professor, a president. So what does that mean to have that experience behind you, but then going into this tour as commissioner? Well, I think that will help me be a better commissioner. Uh, I was educated in this system and worked in this system at, on three different campuses. Uh, so I understand the unique challenges and the needs uh, that exist across the uh, System, So I think it only helps uh, inform my decisions and help me be a better commissioner for this state. Could you describe higher education in Mississippi right now? I think our higher ed system here in this state is very strong. Uh, we offer a high-quality uh, education at a good value. Uh, if you compare uh, our tuition to other schools and neighboring states, I think we, we offer a very affordable quality uh, education here in the state of Mississippi on a great value. So in the next 100 days, you may come to contact with people that may um, challenge your expertise. What are some things that you would say to those people? Well, I would just say uh, that I have uh, worked on three campuses. I've worked up the faculty ranks. Uh, I've served as an administrator on three campuses, and uh, I think I'm uniquely qualified based on my campus experience and also working here in the system office as deputy commissioner to uh, lead this system. IHO Commissioner Alfred Rankins, thank you so much for your time today. All right. Thank you. Rankins says the tour will continue to the other seven public universities and the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Jacqueline Zerton is a coordinator at UMC. She says it gives students a good opportunity. I think it's really important, um, especially for the students. And I think for the students because um, I view this as this, as I view any institution of higher learning as their institution. They're the ones that if it were not for the students, we wouldn't be employed. So letting the students know that this is a perfect opportunity where your voice can be heard um, to have the highest official in higher education um, come and have him in your presence to talk about um, any issues that you think maybe that you may have at your institution or just to just talk about um, things that are going on in higher ed right now as a whole. Information about the tour is available online at mississippi.edu slash tour. Coming up with summer as peak moving season, find out how you can avoid fraud and protect your belongings. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Federal and state advocates are encouraging Mississippians to take caution when relocating. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, nearly one in nine Americans move each year, with about three million moving across state lines. They say with summer as traditional peak moving season, now is the time for consumers to get informed and do their research to make an informed decision when hiring movers. Raymond Martinez is an administrator with the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. He tells us they received more than 4,000 moving fraud complaints last year. Protect yourself before you engage a moving company and certainly before any of your goods go on a truck. Do one thing before you do an interstate move. Check our website, protectyourmove.gov. That's a federal website that will have listed uh, interstate moving companies are required by federal law to be registered with our agency, uh, and uh, complaints can be filed with us, um, with anybody who has a complaint against these companies. So before you reg- uh, a contract with a company, check our website, protectyourmove.gov, to see whether they're on the list, because they should be. And secondly, you can check their record of complaints. Um, and then let's say they have no complaints and you do contract with them. We also have a lot of good information to prepare yourself for the move, checklists. The most important one, of course, is to make sure that you've got a good contract that protects your interest and your goods before you hand it over to a moving company. I'm sure that most people or many people who move, there's an item that ends up broken or damaged somehow. Is that par for the course when you move? Well, I wouldn't say par for the course, but yes, you know, normal things happen in uh, in, in commerce, right? In any, in any situation, you could have a, a reputable uh, company and a, a well-meaning consumer and something goes sideways. Uh, but, you know, extensive damage or uninsured damage is a problem. That's something you want to make sure that you're protected against. Of course, some of these things are, have sentimental value, well, uh, beyond the uh, actual uh, cost of the item. Uh, but we are also seeing a consumer fraud angle here, particularly in the interstate moves, where because this would normally take a, a day or two or, or a week or more uh, to, to move these, uh, a large amount of goods cross-country. And what happens is there's the, what you contract for and the cost that you contract for changes before you get your goods. So suddenly there's a dramatic overcharges before you get your goods delivered or they're held hostage. Is that legal? Uh, no, it's illegal. And frankly, that's one of the things that we want people to make sure that they report that to us. And I'll give you the number. If somebody's in that situation right now, we encourage them to, to call us at 1-888-368-7238. That's 1-888-D-O-T-S-A-F-T. Um, we had 4,000 moving fraud complaints last year, and that is way underreported because we know from dealing with state attorney generals around the country and state consumer protection bureaus around the country, that this is a growing problem. Uh, and frankly, consumers don't know where to turn when they're in that situation. And they try to work it out uh, with these folks. Um, and uh, they're, they're, unfortunately, they're in a situation where their goods are essentially held hostage. And it's things of sentimental value and, of course, great financial value. The, the average financial loss claim against an unscrupulous mover last year was almost $8,000. And we believe it's much more than that. Uh, So uh, we encourage consumers to, to communicate with us.
Do you know how many complaints have come from Mississippi? I don't know Mississippi offhand. I do know that Mississippi is not in our top ten. But, again, it could be underreported because sometimes those complaints could be from people who moved from Mississippi using a Mississippi company. So it's a little loose on the, on the numbers. This is happening in all states around the country. And uh, what we want to do is use all state and federal resources to, to be brought to bear against these scammers. Because, again, there's really good companies out there doing legitimate work, and I want to commend them for that. And on the other hand, you have, like in everything else, there's these uh, predatory movers that have found a niche uh, where they scam consumers. Raymond Martinez is the administrator of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. Thank you so much for some good information today. Thank you very much. John O'Hara is CEO of the Better Business Bureau of Mississippi. He says Mississippians should plan their moves well in advance. This time of year is when a lot of people do use moving companies. They do move since school is out. And one of the first things that someone should do is do their homework and research the company. You should look them up online. You should look at the Better Business Bureau, see what we have on them. Uh, you should also contact uh, you know, the Federal Motor Carriers Association to see uh, if they have any complaints on a company. Uh, another thing is if you are doing a move, whenever you contact a company, they should send someone to your house to do a quote. When someone says they could take someone else's quote to do this, but a reputable moving company will send someone and go room by room, storage unit, uh, they will check off things, and they will give you a quote that they could stand behind. When you get a quote, that is an estimate or is that the actual final cost? It should be an estimate, but it should be very close. And then uh, what a reputable company will do is if something's off before they actually do that, if they come out and all of a sudden uh, they didn't realize there was an attic uh, full of uh, stuff that you were moving, they would say, hold on a second, this is going to cost more, and they would go anytime there's a price change, they would have the, the cu- customer sign off on it. When you say sign off, a contract is necessary? A written contract? Yes, you, should always, you should always have a written contract. Uh, that, that says, and you should never sign a blank contract. And also you need to be careful about what paperwork people are sending or, or handing you on the day of the move. Uh, we had an incident with a couple who moved here from Mississippi that had a quote uh, on the day of move. They were handed uh, a, you know, some papers to sign as the truck was being loaded, and they said they needed to sign it so that they were authorized to move interstate. And actually what they ended up doing was signing another blank contract, and the price ended up being three times the amount of their original. What does accreditation mean? Accreditation would be uh, if you're a BBB-accredited business, you would provide and stand behind your quote. If there is an issue, part of the problem this couple is having is they can't get anybody to answer their question, and uh, every time they call, uh, they get the runaround. Uh, you know, when people become an accredited business of the Better Business Bureau, they're putting their reputation on the line, and that means that they will go through the process, the complaint process, through the Better Business Bureau and try to resolve it uh, and maybe explain why there is such a discrepancy in the cost. Where do we find your website, and where do we find the, the moving companies specifically? 
Well, if you go to BBB.org uh, and you put in the search bar looking for a moving company, uh, we will have ratings on both accredited and non-accredited businesses. Uh, so uh, you could see uh, not only how a business, you know, if a business is accredited, but how they do business. We have positive reviews on businesses. We have negative reviews. We also have complaints. And sometimes people, a, a complaint is not necessarily a bad thing. The good thing about our website is we do put the business response out there as well. So sometimes there could have been a problem with a move. Things do happen. But how did the business react? Did they take care of the problem? And to me as a consumer, uh, you know, not everything goes perfect all the time. It's how the company reacts if there is a problem. Do they step up to the plate uh, or do, you, they, do they run and hide? And uh, it really gives you a good insight to how someone does business. John O'Hara is the CEO of the Mississippi Better Business Bureau. John, thank you so much. Good information. Thank you for having us on. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about a story or send us a news tip by visiting MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. If you missed the show today, find past episodes online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.